Welcome to Live on Purpose Radio with Dr. Paul Jenkins, where you will hear inspiring stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Feed your mind with a regular dose of positive energy and show up for your life every day on purpose. Living on purpose means that you have a purpose and you do it intentionally. And now, here's your host, Dr. Paul. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Live on Purpose Radio. This is Dr. Paul, the shrink who expands your life, bringing you another episode of Live on Purpose Radio. And folks, I am excited today to introduce you to a concept and a guest that I think will just just light you up. I have with me on the line today, Kelly Davis. Say hello, Kelly. Hi. Hi there. Glad you're with me at Live on Purpose Radio today. Thank you so much, Dr. Paul. And I want to tell our listeners just a little bit about you, and you can correct anything I get wrong here, okay? Uh, Kelly, you wrote a book called Porcelain Soldier, and I just completed that book oh, a couple of weeks ago. I, I picked it up and read it and was so impressed with a couple of principles from that book that I wanted to invite you to be on this show Here's the short version, folks. Kelly was diagnosed, it's been what, about five years ago, Kelly? Yes, 2006. With non-Hodgkin lymphoma. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that is because that's a pretty significant diagnosis. And the short version is, for a lot of folks, this is a death sentence. And it's kind of scary. It's a type of cancer that is, is quite aggressive and uh, this basically changed your life, didn't it, Kelly? Changed my life is probably an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll start with an understatement and build from there. Tell us a little bit about who you are um, and what this event has created in your life. We'll just open it up from that point, and, and there's a lot of discussion we can have as we go. But tell us a little bit more about yourself to get started. Sounds good. Well, at the time, I was um, 28 years old, and in my eyes, I was as healthy as could be, had never really not even broke a bone, never been to a hospital, just kind of your your average, you know, 28-year-old who was, um, mm-hmm. you know, in a serious relationship and climbing the corporate ladder and loved my job and just working, and then all of a sudden, I felt this pain in my arm and just could not shake it, and I just thought, this is something, you know, can't be right. Mm. So ended up going to the hospital and saying, you know, I have this extreme pain in my arm, and I'm not quite sure what it is. And so they ran all the different tests and um, went ahead and did a CT scan, and, you know, knowing nothing about the cancer world, I knew, had no clue what was going on. I thought potentially I pulled a muscle in my arm or um, but to make a long story short, what had happened was the tumor had gotten so large it was sitting on a nerve, and the oh. nerve was what was acting up in my arm. Mm-hmm. So went in with, again, thinking they would say, you pulled a muscle, here's some Bengay, let's move on, to mm-hmm. finding out within one x-ray that my whole life was going to change from that day forward. Wow. So, and I think in your book you describe this as the bomb dropped. It, it's nothing that was even on on the radar screen for you? Not at all. To be honest with you, the weekend before I had, that was my 10-year high school um, reunion I had gone to on Sunday. I played soccer and then found out on Thursday. 
Wow. And when you described yourself as an average 28-year-old, I, I would have to dispute that just from the image I got from the book. I think you were an energetic, uh, fit, um, achievement-oriented. You know, we could add a lot of different adjectives, but you were, you were doing life in a relationship. It's not like you were sitting around on the couch and uh, you know, extremely overweight or anything like that that sometimes people associate with with um, health problems. It was, it was really very much out of the blue that this hit you. Yeah, that is definitely fair to say. And I guess the part that um, looking back had, like you said, it was a pretty serious, serious diagnosis. So had it had taken me at the time, I would have, in a sense, been okay because I was a very active person and I traveled a lot and I, I did a lot of the things that I wanted to do. I just did them with a different purpose and a different meaning at that mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. So I think the book does a nice job describing this challenge that suddenly entered your life at a time when you didn't expect it. It's not like you'd signed up for this or thought, hey, you know, I'm going to try on Hodgkin's lymphoma and see what... (laughs) It's something that just showed up for you. One of the things that we talk about a lot on this show, Kelly, is what you do with the stuff that shows up in your life. You don't always get to pick what happens to you, but you always get to choose what you do with it. And I got a sense from your book that you really believe that as well. Talk about talk about that piece for just a minute. Yeah, I would agree with you 100%. Um, I, there's not to say that there wasn't moments of self-pity. I mean, you're 28, and everyone that you're watching around you is moving forward. This is kind of, some people um, label it as like emerging adulthood, the the point in your life when you're really starting to gain traction and momentum, and I had bought a condo and, you know, uh-huh. was really moving forward. And like you said, it, then it, when it kind of came to a halt, part of me wanted to, to just go into self-pity mode and say, this is so unfair and this is so early and, you know, it, it's a very, very odd age to get it. And then part of mm-hmm. me said, you know, maybe you're blessed to get it at this age because if you were to get it at 70 and 80 and you know, learn lessons from it, you don't have as much time to apply them. So now I get this whole Mm. life to apply these lessons that I was given. And I did have to consciously tell myself, okay, there is a reason this happened, and I'm going to learn from it. And I'm not going to, you know, resist this lesson that I'm supposed to learn. Wait a minute. Okay, you're talking crazy now. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) How could this be a blessing rather than a curse? You know, that sounds crazy to some people. And you know what also sounds crazy is when, I mean, think of the title of the book, Discovering Gratitude and Cancer. And I think if you put the word Mm. gratitude and cancer in the same sentence, it sounds crazy. Yeah. But there's definitely, um, again, I I felt like I always lived my life. So no regrets there. However, I lived my life for the big moments. And I realized after all this that now I live my life for the little moments. And there's so much, so many more little moments in your life. Mm-hmm. And, and so it just was a, a really great way. Now, maybe I could learn this some other way. But having got it, like you said, and not having a choice, it was a really great way to put everything into perspective and um, just sort of re- at, at a crucial stage to reprioritize 
and decide what that purpose is that I was going to live by. Mm -hmm. So this is a powerful concept, Kelly, and, and the thing that I appreciated probably the most about your book and just about who you are, that here's this thing that has has happened to you, and then you made a conscious choice. And as you des- as you described it just now, it was a conscious choice to do something else with this, because you could have easily just curled up in the corner and why me and, oh my gosh, my life sucks now and... But you saw that there was a choice to be made. Is it really a choice? Um, I, I I do think it is a choice because having seen a lot of people with a diagnosis as well, you know, I've seen mm. people who it could devastate their life. And again, I'm not saying that mine was perfect and rainbows the whole time. And I, I was really sick, and um, and it was not it was not a pretty thing, but. What are you going to do? I mean, well, this is and, what you're given, and you can't change it, so what else are you going to do? Add a little context there, Kelly. I've read the book, so I know what you've shared there. When you say you were really sick, you went through the full the full rigmarole, the yeah, chemo, so I, the radi- everything that goes into it, right? Right. So I went through um, six rounds of radiation, um, really intense. Or, I'm sorry, six rounds of chemotherapy, extremely intense chemotherapy, and then I went through 32 rounds of radiation. So, um, which, yeah, which is a a pretty aggressive treatment. Um, But also because of my age, I wanted to make sure, you know, that every last cell had been checked out so that Mm -hmm. this puppy wasn't coming back. And I guess that's one of the other things with non-Hodgkin lymphoma is there's a chance that it would return. So living with that as well, um, I would I would say that the rest of my life, in a sense, I'm living with cancer. So I am frequently reminded at every appointment or every you know turn in the road that mm-hmm. there needs to be a purpose because this very well could come back. And if it does, you have no room to talk because you've been warned big time. Mm. That's right. So so when you say you were really sick, it wasn't always rainbows. It's it's not an easy choice to make to take the hard things in your life, the sometimes just brutal things that, I mean, even beyond the cancer, Kelly, these treatments that you went through are designed to kill things. You know, the cancer cells specifically, but they kind of do some damage to other things in the process. And and so that's why... I think it's significant to take a look at this whole experience that you had and how how you can, on purpose, choose to do something productive with something that is otherwise so hard and so difficult. And I love that you've put it into a book, too, because now not only do you get to learn from this experience, but you're sharing what you've learned with other people. Right, and I found throughout the treatment, um, I guess, like, I've just always been a a pretty positive person, and I found throughout the treatment, it is so dark, and it is um, just grueling, and I wanted so bad to come come away from that place and not get caught up in, there were often nights where I felt like, okay, this is it. I could close my eyes, and I could say, this is it, and I felt that bad that I... I believed I had the power, you know, not to wake up in the morning, but mm. I just still, I still had so much more that I wanted to do, 
and I was mm-hmm. on a mission to find to, to get out of that place. And there are so many people, um, good role models out there that have done that before. That I thought, you know what, if they can do it, I can do it. Um, this doesn't have to be a death sentence, and you know I'm going to fight this with everything I have. And it, it you know, it's out of my con- control where the cards fall, but I'm going to mm-hmm. do my best to make the best of if, if the cards do do fall. Um, that I, I am going to survive this, and I want to come out of this a better person. Mm. Well, and there are so many things in what you just shared. I know there was a very tender part of the book where a friend of yours uh, did not survive the cancer. Is that true? Am I remembering yes. that correctly? Yes, you are. And and as you were saying, you know, you don't always get to des- to decide or predict where all of the cards are going to fall. It, it, just because someone might might die when they get cancer and someone else might survive. And I, I know I'm getting into kind of a sensitive area here, or potentially, because you did survive it, at least this round, huh? Right. And your friend did not. But that doesn't mean that he handled it poorly and you handled it well. I mean, sometimes those outcomes just happen. Right, and I, I would, um, we had a lot of discussions, and in fact, um, as you recall in the book, I, I included some of our, our final text messages back and yes. forth, but there was um, this sense of guilt, and have, even since I've written the book, have lost another really big, big um, influencer in my life to cancer. So I just feel like, I mean, they're two wonderful people, and Mm. You know, there's this guilt and this burden that it would have been so much easier to take someone in my state at 28 than to take them with kids and grandkids. And um, so it is this, you feel like you're on an airplane and everybody's going down and you're the one that survives. And Mm -hmm. I did feel a lot of guilt and it's not fair because I didn't do anything different than them. I didn't fight any harder. I just, my body responded to the medicine and theirs didn't. Mm-hmm. But all I can do is say that, you know, I will live a better life because they weren't able to. Mm-hmm. And there's, uh, I would trade places with them if I could, but I can't. So all I can do to pay yeah. it back to them is to take what I learned from their situations and from mine and to not let them down and live the best life possible. Yes. And living your life well is the best way to honor them. I agree. Wow, that's powerful. Can I come back to something else just before we get to the break, Kelly? Of course. Your your subtitle, Discovering Gratitude in Cancer. You know, in the work that I do with people as a psychologist, I've found that gratitude is perhaps one of the most powerful principles in changing your attitude. Talk for just a minute about the gratitude and what it means to you. Yeah, I think where I came up with that is one day I just, I asked myself, would I do all this again to the to get to the point I'm at? And, you know, I thought a lot about it, and there's a, I just thought, wow, would I go through all that to get where I'm at? And the answer would be yes. And, and to me, that's what gratitude mm. is. Like, I'm thankful for what I went through to get to the point that I'm at now. And, mm-hmm. um... Yeah, and I'm and I'm grateful that this happened to me at the age that it did, so that I can live the rest of my life with so much more meaning and so much more depth, and mm-hmm. that I had than I had before. So, despite the fact that it was the most 
torturous, unpleasant experience you've ever had in your whole life, you wouldn't necessarily change it because of what it has created in you and in your life. That is correct. I have a much more fulfilled life now. That is beautiful. We're going to come back to some important principles after this break. This is Kirk Weasler to tell you about morebetterbooks.com. Morebetterbooks.com is where you can find more better books for a more better life. Not only that, let me tell you about some of the very fun and cool select titles on morebetterbooks.com. You'll want to get a copy of The Dog Poop Initiative. This best-smelling book could change your life forever. It certainly changed the lives of thousands of Boeing employees, as well as school teachers, parents, leaders across the United States and in Israel and in Germany. And you can get your own copy at morebetterbooks.com. Whoa, that's not all. What about The Cookie Thief? This classic tale told in a rhyming format, fully illustrated with very fun hit messages. Pick up a copy now today on morebetterbooks.com. Other great titles there, Finding Your Pathway to Mastery, Beyond Illusions, Make It Great. These titles are only available on morebetterbooks.com. Go to morebetterbooks.com today and begin to have a more better life and live that life on purpose. Thank you for joining me for the Live On Purpose radio podcast. It is truly an honor to be a part of your prosperity team. Please visit the website, drpaul.org, where you will be able to sign up for Empower, a quick, inspiring message that will be sent right to your inbox several times a month. Click on the blog link to share your comments and be part of the discussion. You can also pick up powerful information products and stay in touch with upcoming events, all to assist you in creating and living a life that you love. Share Live On Purpose Radio with someone in your life today. And thanks for listening. To be what we are and to become what we are capable of becoming is the only end of life. Robert Louis Stevenson I've been thinking through the whole break about what you said just before the break about how this has been such a powerful, meaningful experience for you and has shaped things in your life to the point where you don't want to go back and and undo all of this, even though it was a painful, difficult experience for you. And I know I'm understating things still. This gratitude that you were talking about, as you have discovered how to Start living your life instead of merely existing. What's, what's that bringing about for you that just wouldn't be here had you not had this experience? Um, I think a, a good example would be prior to this that I, had, I was one of those people that always created a list of things to do, and I still do that. Like I, I have my list, and I just check them off, and so... It, it was what I needed to do. I had to get all this stuff done. But now I'm, I'm really conscious of what is on that list. So 
So, for mm. example, yesterday I, I spent the day with my two best friends, and um, I, I'm conscious of, like you said, existing. And think the whole time I'm there, there's nowhere else I would rather be, and I'm not here because I need to check this off my list of things to do. I'm here because mm. I want to be with Lindsay and Jamie at this moment. That's about being present in your life. You know, not just so that you actually show up where you are instead of living for some other thing like the list. You know, people who want to check it off the list, they're just eager to get back to the list so they can check it off as if that's the most important thing. And then they miss the experience of, of being present. Right. And it, and that's the exciting part to me. And I think I alluded to this in the beginning, but it's those little moments. I mean, before it was like mm -hmm. you live for, you know, the weddings and, and the baby showers and, and the big exciting things. But now I live for the little moments. I live for the Sunday morning where the three of us had bagels and did nothing mm -hmm. and had just as much fun and just as much, if not more, meaning and purpose than, you know, prior. Right. Because you're paying attention to the stuff that actually makes up the bulk of life. That's what it's all about. It's about all those little things added up into a huge experience. Right. And it also, it gives you a chance to also focus on the big things in what are the big things that you want to do. A lot of people mm -hmm. have what they call a bucket list. And I had actually created mine prior to getting sick and just didn't realize the significance of it until afterwards. But I mean, I can truly mm -hmm. say that if I was to go down my 10 things on my bucket list, I have done all 10. <laughs> and there's no reason to wait. Like, why am I going to wait until I'm retired? Or why am I going to... If those are the 10 things that I really want to do, then those are 10 things that I should make happen. And why not do it now? Yeah, exactly. No time better than now. As you're sharing that, Kelly, I'm looking at a picture of you with a totally bald head <laughs> and about... 31 buckets of ice cream in front of you. <laughs> yeah, you know, my, my bucket list wasn't crazy, I have to admit. I, I was pretty realistic when I wrote it. And so I had everything from, you know, climb the Great Wall of China to I just really wanted to try all 31 flavors at Baskin-Robbins. Uh-huh. And so that that's the picture that you're looking at. And that was the point there is that here's, well, and you were also making a point about some of the kindness and thoughtfulness of your friends. And uh, and that's a huge part of it, too, isn't it? The connection that we have with other people. Talk about your human treasury for a minute and how you look at that differently. Yeah, I, um, I, I appreciated everybody, but I didn't realize what I was surrounded with. And when you talk about making that choice to go, you know, either into this self-pity mode or why me or to go into this, you know, I can do better, I, I, I would say that it is because there have been so many people in my life that what, it wasn't necessarily cancer, but they've, hand, they've been handed cards that happened all of a sudden and stuff that they mm -hmm. wouldn't want, and they've all risen above it. And so I have watched time and time again people do just tremendous things with, with bad situations. And so I had no room, you know, not to. I was just provided great role models, great family, great friends. Um, and just really feel like my whole life was set up so that when I was given that decision, I knew how to handle it. Mm. Just through the example and the lives of other people around you. There's so much we can learn from that, don't you think? Oh, definitely, definitely. And in fact, the three people that I dedicated the book to, 
um, all three of them lost a parent when they were in junior high or high school. And to me, I just can't even fathom losing my mom and dad cause I, or dad because I know how much they did for me. Mm-hmm. And all three of them are the most just, they just have the best character. They all did something with their life, and they never once stopped. And I never heard them say, you know, why me? This is so unfair. You have a mom and dad. I don't. And so I was just thinking, who am I to say, well, I had cancer, you didn't. Mm-hmm. I'm not. Like, so I just, again, have been completely surrounded by some of the most admirable people. So, Kelly, as we as we get into the tail end of this program today, I know that a lot of our listeners who are, who are tuning in right now and listening, they have their package, too. And whether it's cancer or losing a parent or going through a bankruptcy or whatever it is, these hard things in our life have a purpose, and we've talked about that a little bit. But I want to pick your brain for a few minutes about what what you would share with these people. What, what are the steps? Where do you turn when you just feel like life has just served you up something you can't even swallow? What are those steps? Yeah, um, when... When you look, and I don't know if you caught on to this, but in the middle of the book, I purposely put about five or six blank pages. Mm. And to me, that was the point in the book where I was blank. I had nothing. I had nothing, no direction, nothing left. And I wanted the reader to feel as confused as I did. And. That's interesting. I'm just noticing that now. (laughs) Yeah, and some people thought it was for journal pages, but again, I, I mean, I. I knew the purpose of that because I, I, I felt so lost. And throughout the treatment, you know, I had doctors telling me, you need to do this at this time. And then all of a sudden the treatment is done and you're kind of on your own. And so I guess the lesson that I would say is instead of resisting it, which I did in the beginning and I resisted these lessons or why did I need to learn stuff, mm. I decided to, to open up to it and say, okay, what can I learn from this versus why do I have to learn something? And that's mm-hmm. when I started diving in and slowly, I didn't tackle everything. You know, I wasn't wake up on a Saturday, let's tackle all these questions in my head. But I slowly went through the different feelings that I had and the questions. And, um, you know, I, I put a lot of the questions in here and they're just kind of mm-hmm. raw and open. And a lot of them I don't have answers to, but I let myself ask the questions so that I could, um, to, to find that purpose or that point that I was so badly searching for. Mm-hmm. You know, the image that I just had is someone trying to fight their way upstream, you know, and the water is trying to push them a different direction and they're just resisting and fighting it and not making any progress. I had a little experience with this this summer. Uh, when my son and I were down in Zion's National Park and we were we were walking up the narrows and the water was kind of high and it was a little hard to to go against the flow. Well, I found that coming down was a lot easier when we just allowed that river to carry us wherever it was going to take us. And that's the image that came to my mind as you were talking about openness versus resisting. I think that is that that's a perfect metaphor because that's exactly I was there's um, I would say with anything with cancer with bankruptcy with death you mm-hmm. know everybody says you're going to learn a lesson from this and there's going to be something great at the end of this and 
I kind of resisted that and went the other way and said, well, I don't, you know, this is all a cliche. I don't want to learn that. And then mm-hmm. when I finally stopped and, like you said, rode the stream, I realized, all right, wow, this is pretty, this is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not a bad ride when it's all said and done. I mean, you, you said that you wouldn't, you know, go back and change it. Um, I have talked to some people in similar circumstances. You know, whatever the adversity is doesn't seem to matter as much as the fact that we have them. And as I was, I was interviewing someone who had lost a son to an accident, um, and he was saying, you know, if I could go back and make it so none of this happened, I wouldn't do it. And it really, it really stuck with me that, okay, this is a powerful thing that he has just experienced, and he sees that there are upsides and there are downsides. And that's what you've done as well, Kelly. You've, you've put this in a package that helps us to see, okay, whatever the package is in life, whatever that adversity is, okay, bring it on. Yeah, and you have to, I think in order to say that you would go back and do it again, you mm-hmm. have to be at the point where you've made peace with yourself and with the situation. Sure. And you are able to say you have found that learning or that gratitude or that, that underlining lesson, and that's at the point when you can say, you know what, this did make me a better person, and mm-hmm. for, for, that, for that it was worth it. And for that I am grateful. Instead of just stomping your feet and saying, this shouldn't be happening to me. Right, exactly. And, and you know, and if you ask, it shouldn't. None of this really hard stuff should be happening to anybody, but it does. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. Um, I think one of the things for me, too, with this cancer was I didn't do anything to bring it on. I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't create any situation that would open this up to my body. I mean, I've been extremely healthy. I've done. So to me, it was really something that fell out of the sky. So there was no mm-hmm. self-guilt. Like I created this or I did something. It was, holy cow, this came out of nowhere. Things don't just come out of nowhere for nothing. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then choosing to see that in a way that is productive. What can I learn from this? What is it that this experience can bring into my life? And we're talking, okay, this is five years later, and I know that you're in remission currently, and I'm so happy that you are. Thank you. That is fantastic, and you've got a new lease on life here, and who knows what's coming around the corner. But whatever it is, you get to take it on with a new perspective that you've gained from this powerful last five years. And that's just, that's amazing. It's inspiring, Kelly. Um. I want to give our our listeners a chance to get to know you a little better, okay? Okay. Probably the best way to do that is to just read your book. (laughs) Sounds good to me. (laughs) That's what introduced me to you, and now I get to talk to you, and that's fun too. But the book tells the story, and like you said, it's pretty raw. It's it's right out there. You're not trying to sugarcoat things. Um, But it, it gives you, the reader, I think, an insight into how something like this could be turned into something that's that's beautiful and powerful rather than just nasty and messy. Yeah, and I've heard from a lot of um, actual caregivers that say, you know, it was really insightful for me to kind of take a step in the process 
And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I've cared for a lot of people that have been sick or my daughter's had it or, or, but just to articulate how you're feeling and to be so open about it, um, that there are mm-hmm. these questions that are out there and that you did, you know, I did question and I did have moments of self pity, but I did, how did I ultimately get to that place of gratitude? And it kind of walks right. you through those steps. And folks, you're not doing it wrong if you feel angry, if you feel upset, if you feel tipped over. That's all part of the process, don't you think, Kelly? Oh, yeah. I think there, again, there are definite moments of anger in here. There are definite oh, moments yeah. of self-pity. Um, there are definite moments of, why me? This is so unfair. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, it, 28 people are out there buying cute clothes and going on dates, and I'm, you know, finding an outfit without zippers and buttons to go through an x-ray machine, and I'm giving the the, the lady at the front desk $20 for a copay. And, I mean, there was mm-hmm. definitely times when I questioned you know, why did this have to happen to me right now? Well, and there are times you didn't have to worry about how to style your hair, huh? Exactly. I know. I'm kind of <laughs> thinking about going bald again. It was pretty easy. <laughs> well, the book is called Porcelain Soldier, Discovering Gratitude in Cancer. And, Kelly, you've got a website called porcelainsoldier.com. Tell us a little bit about what we can find there at that website and what resources you have for our for our listeners. Yeah, one thing that I'm really proud about is on the actual website, again, porcelainsoldier.com, there's a section called Organizer. And one thing that I found so helpful was I created, when I first found out, a binder. And, -hmm. you know, just put in simple sections, like where to put what medications I'm going to have to take. And even as far as, like, who do I need to write thank you cards to and what appointments do I have coming up and scans. And there was just so much information coming all at once, and I just wanted a place to organize it. So I put on the site um, some ideas of how to set this binder up as well as calendar, journal pages that you can download and create um, your own binder for someone who's been diagnosed and so many people ask me, like, hey, Kel, so-and-so has cancer. What do I get them? And mm-hmm. you would think I would have the answer, but I, I don't. And I'm, it's such a, uh, a different situation for everybody. But the one thing I said was I felt so out of control that being organized helped me control the situation. And I was just so desperately looking for some sense of control um, with keeping everything mm-hmm. organized. And, and a great example, this is just one of the resources you found that you felt was helpful to you, so you're sharing it on your website. So folks, Porcelain Soldier, P-O-R-C-E-L-A-I-N, soldier.com, and that's where they can get connected with you, Kelly, and all of these resources that you've put together for people who are going through this or who might know someone going through a hard time. Exactly. And, you know, Dr. Paul, we touched on the subtitle, but I quickly want to explain the title, Porcelain Soldier. Probably a good way to wrap this up. But the, the way that this title came about was, as you mentioned, soldier. You have to be so strong. And, mm-hmm. and they often use the term, you know, battle cancer. But the word porcelain came in. I felt like I could break at any moment. And I was so vulnerable that it was a good, it was a good um, mix between the two, being strong and letting yourself be vulnerable. Perfect. Thank you, Kelly. Everybody go out there and live on purpose. 